Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We help companies all across the United States streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. We've helped hundreds of companies and thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right. My name is Rami Alijil. I'm the CEO of People Processes, and today we're going to be interviewing David Veach. David teaches leaders how to love, learn, and let go so they can create a workplace that fully engages the creative and productive powers of their people. He learned through 20 years of service in the Army and is still learning after 20 years of being in the consulting and training space. His messages will hopefully inspire you and your teams to obliterate obstacles, accelerate innovation, and evaluate performance, leaving everyone motivated and engaged for the future. We're very excited to have him on here. Before we do, though, I want to ask you, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content, including a quick summary and checklist after this interview of some of the key highlights. David, thank you so much for coming on, sir. Welcome to the show. This is very exciting. Well, so, uh, David, tell me, you are, I mean, you've had a heck of a journey. You're not a, you're not one of the fresh off the boat, 22 year olds, fresh out of college, setting up a company. You've, you've done this quite a while. I've tried. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So 40 years ago, you started in the army. Is that about where, where you're, uh, Leadership I, did, yeah. journey I, I went to college on an ROTC scholarship, uh, was commissioned when I was 20 years old into the infantry. Um, and I went to uh, a, a combat unit, but I managed to make it 20 years in the army without ever getting shot at. Outstanding. <laughs> and uh, so after you got out of the army, you wound up setting up a consultancy organization. Is that right? Well, yeah. Well, I... My last job in the Army was teaching. I was teaching at the Defense Acquisition University at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, uh, and that's where they have all the um, production quality and manufacturing specialists that go through a particular training program, and I was assigned to bring a lean curriculum into that program. And so I taught there for a few years, and because I didn't know a whole lot about lean, I went out and uh, found the experts at the University of Kentucky and went through their program so that I could kind of steal that content and build it into the content I was creating for the Defense Acquisition University. And I created a relationship with UK and they liked me enough to hire me when I, about six months before I retired from the army, they hired me and I started teaching continuing education courses for them. That was pretty cool. Now, I don't think many people who at least haven't been, been in the army don't think of the army as a, I don't know, has a manufacturing arm or has a, I mean, of course they buy things, I guess, but what is it you would teach? Um, I mean, engineering and, and manu- uh, maintenance, that kind of thing to your to, to, to army soldiers? Well, we have uh, a government office in virtually every defense contractor facility. So when I, I was stationed at the Lockheed Martin Vought Systems plant in Grand Prairie, Texas for three years, I was the operations manager and we did government oversight of the production schedule, of the quality of the products, uh, to make sure that uh, all the bookkeeping was squared away. Um, so there are just all of the business specialties are required in government oversight to make sure that we're getting our money's worth out of the defense programs. Absolutely. So we teach those people 
the things that they need to know to manage the quality production and management of the system. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to especially do there in that last job, uh, because many, this was, uh, this was 1998, 1999, and a lot of defense contractors were trying to apply these lean principles that Toyota made famous. Um, and sure. I got to see them do that. And I got to see a bunch of government folks shut them down because it was different from what they understood the processes were supposed to be like. And so my goal was to teach all of those government folks to not block that, but to encourage it and, and steer it so that, that both the contractor and the government could benefit. Interesting. Well, so after doing that, you went on to become a college professor. How did that wind up? What was your journey from there to a consultancy, an international consultancy around these topics all over the world? Yeah, well, I found out early that I love to teach. Um, and so it was, it was great. I asked specifically to be assigned to Wright-Patterson to teach. Um, they sent me off to um, an Air Force academic instructor course that uh, really tested what I thought I knew about teaching. And as a profession, it's been something, it's been one of the priorities that I've assigned to my own development is, is how can I be a better teacher? How can I be a better teacher? Uh, and of course, that informed everything else that I did. Um, so I was doing pretty well when the, the University of Kentucky asked me to come and teach. Uh, we taught there. I taught graduate programs and I taught continuing education at the University of Kentucky. Uh, but then my partners and I decided we wanted to kind of have a broader impact. And so we created a consulting firm and uh, built a practice in Australia and in the U.S. Uh, and I managed to I made 27 trips to Australia in six years. Um, so kept me in frequent flyer miles and, and we yeah. were having a pretty good impact there. Um, but it, it was always fun to me. It was fun. Um, but we got into consulting around 2008, 2009, and we were much more focused on keeping companies from going bankrupt instead of creating the kind of cultures that I know lean systems can help organizations build and, and creating the kind of leaders that drive that kind of change. And so I wanted to go back into an academic environment to do a little bit more research and to grow a little bit more and then to teach um, more specifically, teach younger people how to think a little bit differently. Uh, and so I uh, was asked to come to the Ohio State University and teach in the Master of Business Operational Excellence program. Uh, and I did that. I joined the faculty in 2013. I taught undergraduate classes and graduate classes. Uh, but then that I got this bug that I got to I got to keep moving and I, mm -hmm. I needed to travel more. And I had some old clients that called me back and said, hey, we really want you to come and do this. And so I had to kind of renegotiate the, the deal with the Ohio State. And I, I only taught part time there. And now I'm just I'm teaching just a tiny bit at Ohio State and doing much more work with uh, direct hands on clients. Interesting. And so when a client hires you out, um, they're looking for lean training, lean operations training? Is that primarily where they're looking? About half of them want some type of uh, lean help, right? I've got a client that uh, is really focused on uh, enhancing their visual management systems uh, and uh, building their teams a little bit more effectively and teaching more problem-solving skills more directly. Uh, but the other half want leadership development. They want me to coach mm -hmm. their team leaders, coach their executives, and try to help them be more effective leaders. Interesting. Okay. So 
now you've, you, you travel the world, you're sought by universities for teaching, you uh, have, have outstanding clients, but I'm sure in the 20-year journey you've had between academia and entrepreneurship, you've had some pretty rough bumps as well. Uh, the most recurring email I get is that, I, that, that people love that I ask this coming question. It's somewhat uncomfortable for my interviewees, so I, I, I apologize up front, and I guess I'd say uh, uh, if you've listened to a prior interview, you know what's coming, and that is, I'd like you to tell me about your worst entrepreneurial moment, the, the, the story around it, how you got there, what happened, what the results were. Uh, and this is so that our listeners can, one, relate and realize that even people like you have got such a stellar career and are now in, a, in, a, in the catbird seat, have had some pretty low lows, but also so they can learn from our mistakes rather than having to repeat them themselves. So, David, tell me, tell me that story. Well, there's a lot to choose from. <laughs> right? That's what I always, I, when I talk to entrepreneurs, they're like, well, gosh, uh, I can't really think of any that bad. I'm like, okay, I, let me just end the interview. Yeah. You haven't been doing this long enough. You should have a long list, my friend. Well, I've got a couple that come to mind right away. And um, both of them involve um, me teaching new people and making the assumption that they didn't know as much as I thought they knew. And so, um, overestimate, uh, didn't know as much as you thought. So, uh, yeah, these, the, the guys I teach, um, in the corporate world are typically very experienced, very knowledgeable. And along with that comes some pretty good ego. Uh, and of course I bring my ego into every situation as well. Uh, but the, the thing is when, when I try to teach something that I just absolutely know, um, and it's wrong and the students tell me it's wrong, then that kind of, you know, pierces your brain and says, look, how did you screw this up? Mm -hmm. And so it really forces me, uh, to be much more deliberate in my preparations and much more deliberate in understanding the audience that I'm addressing and what are their real needs so that I can deliver the appropriate value. And the cool thing is, um, this is something I learned very early in the army is, is that I don't know everything. And there's a whole lot of stuff I need help with. And I am not really afraid to ask for help. So, uh, in a lot of the programs that we have delivered over the years, um, there are different perspectives and different ways to do, to implement a lot of these tools and principles. Uh, and if you only teach one way, um, then that gets you in trouble because other people have made things successful with a bunch of different processes. And so if, if you go in and you ask them to share the way that they've done that, uh, and many of them have had fantastic results and they will share immediately the way that they've applied that, even if it is, you know, 180 degrees from the way I was going in. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's been good having those kinds of audiences to kind of keep you humble uh, and keep you hungry and keep you learning and keep you developing. So I, I, I relish those experiences, even though they are incredibly uncomfortable when you're going <laughs> through them. <laughs> Sure. Well, and as being brought in as a consultant or a trainer to, to you know, you're going to experience pushback, but 
your attitude is that oftentimes the people you're working with may actually know some portion at least better than you. you can, well, you and can I think uh, I think a lot of us, um, especially leaders who identify themselves as servant leaders, um, I think they we share this uh, tendency toward the imposter syndrome, right? Uh, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. But there's an awful lot of stuff I still don't know. I still hesitate to call myself an expert in anything, although lots of other people do. Uh, and it, you get this feeling when you're with particular audiences, like, you know, if these guys find out that who I really am, it's horrible. Um, but fortunately, those are the things that kind of keep you pushing to prepare and to be more effective. And uh, if you don't have those kinds of things that really challenge you, then I think life gets really boring very quickly. Absolutely, I uh, you know my my expert my expertise where I'm where I spend my time is in this world of HR, people processes as we call them, and uh, you know we've been doing that for many years. I have an MBA focused on that. I do research on that, published on that, uh, and I got an opportunity about three years ago to speak to an audience of a, a couple hundred CPAs and or accountants and bookkeepers and CPAs. And I had done some public speaking, very minor, like, you know, a, 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 a small group of uh, Kiwanis or, or, you know, the, the Better Business Bureau, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I'd never really like flown somewhere to give a talk. Uh, I'd grown organically and through marketing, and I just hadn't ever done that. And I was absolutely terrified, not so much of the public speaking, but of the audience, because I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going in front of a bunch of CPAs, a bunch of book accountants, and I'm going to be talking about these these structures and business processes. And these guys are experts and certified deep down, you know, they're going to they're going to know that I'm I, I don't know the ins and outs of the uh, tax world as well as I should when it comes to these things. And it did stress me and I did a lot of studying for it. I did a lot of prep. It went very, very well. And actually now accountants are our number one referral source. And that first group that I spoke to, even though I've had 20 or 30 keynotes since then, uh, is still probably the tightest, most uh, highest participating, you know, public speaking group I've ever been to. So, so I, yeah, there's something about like, that that deep down feeling of oh I'm gonna I'm gonna get caught that imposter syndrome uh, that makes you I think pr- that can make you anyway perform at an incredibly high level. Uh, I agree hundred percent. We we gotta have something that challenges our skill level. Uh, if yeah. we don't we don't grow. Exactly. So all right, David. Well, that's, that was a that was a, a, a good lesson, good story. Uh, now you are out there and you are. Uh, consulting with other companies, and they are bringing you in partially for leadership, partially for lean training. Our listeners vary. They're five-man shops to 5,000-man shops and even 125,000-man companies. And I guess what I would say is if, if, if you had an hour that you could spend at random with one of those people, what would be your first steps? to? Tra- and they said, look, I want an hour of David's time uh, what are we going to do that David could come in and help us figure out? Like, how would you identify a problem, a need, uh, basic steps that, you know, every business should be doing this. If you're not doing it, this is where we should start. What would you kind of start in your diagnostics? 
Well, everything begins with the relationship for me. Um, I, I really need to understand uh, what it is that they do and what it is that they want to do. Uh, what do they want to get out of our engagement? Um, I don't typically go in with, uh, here's my assessment. We'll just check all these blocks and we'll get you this score. And then I promise hmm. after a year, you do all this stuff, we'll, we'll move that needle. Um, I really am more, more, much more focused on their process of engaging employees and developing leaders. Uh, whether they're lean or whether they're leadership clients, um, everything comes down to engaging their employees and developing their leaders. And the, the key um, in the research that I've done, the key to a truly excellent organization uh, is this foundation uh, of what I call dynamic stability, right? So um, it's a, a, a concept that I've been playing with and trying to refine and understand. But uh, uh, what we have to have in organizations is enough stability so that processes are repeatable enough so that people working in those processes improve their skills in those processes, whether that's a thinking process like problem solving or whether that's a manufacturing process or whether that's a, a human resources process. Um, we've got to be able to um, understand the impact that we're having on those. We've got to understand uh, the standard and expectation that our customers and our leaders have of our performance. And we've got to be able to see very quickly when there are any deviations, which would be a problem. Um, so we spend a lot of time uh, talking about how they measure things. We spend a lot of time talking about um, how leaders uh, present themselves in the workplace. Uh, we spend a lot of time in Lean talking about Gemba Walks, where leaders go to the Gemba, which is the real place, the place where the action is, the place where the value is created, and how much time leaders can spend in the Gemba. And what I've learned uh, everywhere I've been is that uh, leaders just don't spend enough time in the Gemba. And there's a few purposes for these Gemba walks. Uh, Tom Peters calls it management by walking around. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he is much more generalized about his, his management by walking around than we are about Gemba walks. Because we want to know, we want to do a Gemba walk so we know that the system we've designed is actually functioning properly. So we go and see. We go and see. And when we're out there going and seeing, we are asking questions of people, not micromanaging, not directing, not solving problems. We're asking questions and we're showing respect. So if I can get leaders to get out of their offices and out in the Gimba more so that they can interact with people, build better relationships and see where they need to direct resources to the organization to provide support that people need, then I think they're doing good. Um, nobody goes out enough. That's my mm -hmm. number one criticism of every leader. Um, you just got to get out more. Your 90% of your time should be out spending time with the people who are working in your organization. And when you look at the flight schedules of most CEOs, they're all, they're gone so much. Right. And, and yeah, they've got lots and lots of varied responsibilities, but, um, the people in the organization need you, um, in order for them to be more effective. And if they're more effective, that's probably going to have a bigger impact on the performance of the company and therefore the performance of the stock price uh, than lots of other things <laughs> that these guys are trying to do. Right. So focus on your folks, focus on the needs of your folks. And I've kind of boiled it down to, to four needs. <laughs> if we can just remember four things, right? Um, 
First is challenge. So we got to set appropriate goals for people. And to me, a challenge is always a positive thing. It's not, uh, it's not a dare. It's not a pushback. It's, it's, Hey, can you do it this much faster? Can you do it this much farther? Can you do it this much better? Uh, and it's just got to surpass their current skill level. Right. Uh, right. and if you put them together with a team of people, that they can learn from each other and they can practice and they can try new things as they, they try to develop this routine so that they can achieve this challenge, uh, then that is like the perfect learning organization. So challenge and then provide the right kind of support. And part of that right kind of support is the team. Um, correct their improper performance. So we've got to get much better as leaders at saying, stop, that wasn't done right. Can you see where you deviated from the expectation. Can you see what the difference is? Can you see um, how we've got a problem here? And then can you see what's causing that? And what might we do about that? Rather than just, you know, slap them on the head and say, hey, you screwed that up. Don't do it again. Uh, there's usually a process problem associated with every human failure. Just, just right. saying. Uh, yeah, it, it, you got to go back to the root cause. It's not just I had a bad day. Yeah, yeah, but most of those most of those conversations that uh, involve correcting someone else's behavior um, can be pretty uh, demoralizing. And so, so the final thing that you've got to be able to do is you got to be able to encourage people. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, Rami, but has anybody ever spent twenty minutes teaching you how to encourage somebody else? You know, that's very true. I've never had formal encouragement training. That's right. We're just uh, supposed to know these kinds of things. Right. So uh, if we can articulate uh, the steps you take in going through these different things that we need leaders to do, then they'll be better better equipped to actually do that. Um, So So to recap that, you said support, challenge, support, correct, and encourage. Yeah. And and I think those roll into... um, all four of the other key decisions that leaders have to make every day. And that's, you mentioned them in the intro a little bit, um, love, learn, let go and connect. Um, If leaders will make that decision every day, today I'm going to love my folks. And uh, that doesn't mean we're going to go out, we're going to have group hugs and we're going to cry together and all that smushy stuff. It's not an emotional kind of thing. Okay. Love is a very, uh, a very tangible decision that leaders have to make. And the result of that decision is simply the leader placing the needs of her people above her own. Uh, And the next piece is the learn piece. If I in, in fact, going to place the needs of somebody else above my own, the most important thing for me to learn is what do they need, right? So I have to go out and interact with them to understand what they really need and then reach into my bag of resources and try to provide the support that they need to actually succeed. Um, so love, then learn. And then one of the best ways to develop people's skills is to actually let go and let them do the things that you know they need to do. The problem we run into is that we're always under time pressure now. Mm-hmm. And in most organizations, leaders have gotten their jobs now because they're good at certain things, right? Uh, so they're the best employee we had at XYZ. And so we're going to make them the boss. We're going to make them the team leader. We're going to make them the supervisor. And they may never have, they might not have any human skills at all. They might just be a fantastic worker. So we've got to be able to, to identify those guys and help them 
become more effective leaders. But the key thing that they that we got to we the key thing we have to have leaders start focusing on is when somebody tries something and they mess it up, rather than just taking it back and say, well, you know, I gave you that chance. Now I know that I can do it right and I can do it quickly. So I'm just going to do it. As soon as leaders do that and they start doing the, the tasks that their folks ought to be doing, they give up leadership. They're not leading anymore. They're just doing work. And so we've got to be able to, to create the time to allow those people to build their skills up to the point where the leader is confident in their abilities and they are confident themselves in their abilities because you get fantastic outcomes when people are confident at work. Absolutely. And so in that process that you were laying out, the challenge, support, correct, and courage, uh, you know, there's this idea, I forgot who we're talking to, but you, you mentioned kind of you have to have one foot in stability uh, to the extent that you can repeat processes and, and improve them and have your people skill up in them. And you need one foot out into the into chaos, into this... Um, world yeah, where things are changing and they're learning and they're getting a new thing and yeah, having to respond. the dynamic part, right? Yeah. Right. The really dynamic with that, like I should. So, uh, so when an, as you as a leader or as a manager, uh, if you're, let's say you have a, a task that's currently on your desk, uh, that's something you've been working, you've done, you've, you've got it down, but it's kind of a booger and you now know it's time to get it off your desk and have a subordinate step up into that position. Uh, your kind of four-step process there of challenge, support, correct, and encourage. Let's assume the challenges do the task yes. uh, that you weren't doing before. What sort of items would you recommend? You, you kind of briefly mentioned a team, but in terms of support, how do you tell whether an employee, because obviously there's like the, the pure resources. I need you to build this wall. Here are the bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of the, the physical items to do it, uh, what sort of support do you mean in that? Well, for every challenge, um, to prevent the leader from just abandoning the team, uh, right. what we want to be able to do is, is we want to create a process that will essentially guarantee that the person or the team will succeed in the challenge. So the support means... We're going to give you time to build that process and find the best way to achieve that challenge. And then we're going to teach everybody how to do that. Um, and how are we going to measure that so that I can know when I'm doing my gimbal walk around the, the office or around the factory or around the parade ground, whatever it might be, um, how will I be able to know very quickly if you need help? Um, not for me to step in and take it from you, but for me to ask ask key questions, help you think through, and then challenge you to make the next step, challenge you to make that next decision in that. So it's a very personal, very high touch kind of relationship that we've got to have as we're developing people. It's not something we say, hey, go take these three online courses and then you should be good to go, right? It's just doesn't work yeah. that way. I, I think it's interesting when you, you, know, you said, all right, support, you need a process that's going to nearly guarantee success for that person. But then you kind of, your next sentence, it was, it was really interesting. You were like, and you need to give them time to develop that process. So in my head, when you're saying, all right, support, that means 
tell them what to do to the extent that they can't screw it up. But really what you mean by that is give them the time and resources and uh, uh, research capabilities as a way to think of it, to come up with a process internally that they are going to execute that will guarantee success. And as part of that process, tell you how it is that you are going to uh, know that it worked and know when to intervene. Exactly. So the support is less telling them what to do and more giving them the room to figure out what to do along with the processes that require they document it and report on it. And well, and, and you stay engaged. The leader has to stay yeah. engaged to continue providing the right kind of resources and support. But the leader doesn't step in and tell them what to do. Very interesting. I mean, I've, you know, there's a, there's a, an interview we had not too long ago with a, a management trainer, and he said uh, he had a couple of rules for management, but the one that stuck in my head was a two-parter. He said, uh, you know, a manager is never allowed to walk by trash. If there's trash, it's got to be taken care of. It's got to be cleaned up. Yep. But rule number two is a manager is not allowed to pick up the trash. <laughs> And everybody likes rule number one and rule number two is the reason that managers are hard to find. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I thought that, that that's always, that's ever since he said that it's really stuck in my head, but I think, uh, I think that this kind of goes to that second tier, which is not only do you need to, you know, identify the problem, uh, or, or lay out the challenge. You need to give the runway for them to then design their way of, of fixing it, of making the, the uh, to take on the challenge. Absolutely. They need to be willing to accept those challenges and a truly engaged workforce that is, uh, that is highly confident. They will, uh, they will bring challenges to you as the leader uh, oh, absolutely. because they will see ways to improve processes that you will never dream of. And they will, uh, if they're measured properly and supported properly and encouraged and corrected properly, they'll be able to set challenges that you'll never imagine. Uh, and that's, that's really our, our main goal to get that, engaged culture. Let's say that someone's listening right now and they go, Hey, uh, David, I've got, I've got, I know we have plenty of challenges. I give oh, those. Yeah. I feel like we have a good support structure. Our team normally does a good job. They seem happy. We have high morale. Uh, but I'm to a degree, a pushover. I, you know, when my, when my staff screws up, I say, gosh, Jeff, that sucks, man. Well, let's get it fixed. You know, it's, you know, and, and no consequence happens. And sometimes I feel like my people aren't getting the correction they need to know the severity of the issues that they cause. Do you have any go-bys on how to properly correct without taking over or utterly demoralizing? I mean, obviously people yeah. aren't going to like being corrected, but without going too far? Well, I think the most important part of that whole thing uh, is to uh, articulate the expectation. Okay, how, how clearly have you really stated what is supposed to happen and how are you measuring that? Right. Because we put a lot of measurements out in workplaces that, that just have no meaning at all to the people doing the work. Uh, and as soon as you do that, it's, how do you how do you correct anything? Uh, if you haven't been clear in your expectation, then how is it not your fault that they've messed it up? And I think that's probably a good spot for most leaders to start uh, is whenever they see a, a failure or a deviation from the standard or a problem 
Um, what have I done as the leader that has contributed to this failure? Uh, mm -hmm. What have I done with the way I've communicated? What have I done with the way I've allowed these, um, these folks to build this particular process? Um, how can I improve my relationship with them so that this doesn't happen again? Now, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, people, people screw things up, right? People sure. are human. We screw things up. Uh, but it needs to be apparent to them and they need to be, uh, we need to build systems that allow them to tell you that they've screwed up without this uh, just absolute fear. Right. right. And it's all in how leaders respond. You know, if, if you get a leader who explodes every time they see some little deviation, then the chances of anybody telling you that there's a problem that only you have the resources to provide the solution for um, is zero. So we've got to be able to be approachable. We've got to be able to um, handle any kind of problem like that uh, as a process problem rather than the person problem first. Um, now, you may, in fact, have a person problem. Is it their skills? Is it their willingness? And, and yeah, you might actually have to fire somebody who can't seem to perform to the standard. As long as you've done your job in making sure the standard is clear, making sure that the process that the team has developed will, in fact, achieve that challenge, um, and you've done the things that you need to do to correct and encourage, if they still can't perform, there's no reason to keep them around. Right. You, Maybe you'll have the confidence them to do, but I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I, w I w No, no. I want to go back you, uh, just a few seconds ago. You said when there is an issue, I mean, obviously as a leader, what did you do to contribute to it? Not obviously, let me, let me go back. Not, not obviously, but um, the first step is what did you do to contribute to it? How can you improve in the future? But you said it's, you need to look at it as a process problem first, then possibly a people problem. Like the person inside there has an issue and we need to look at correcting it. But first yeah. we go back to the process. Was the challenge appropriate? Were they given the, the appropriate support to manage it? Did you lay out the vision, the, 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 the ultimate goal of it correctly? That I think is a key thought process problem first, then once you sure that's nailed down, think of it as possibly a, a, a personal problem. Like this person is not the correct fit. Well, and, and in both cases, Rami, it's the leader's fault. Oh yeah. Always. Well, it's always the leader's fault. Yeah, and that's, yeah. what, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the best and worst thing of being a leader. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm just uh, going off and yelling at people, that's just, uh, that's just the worst kind of behavior. And, uh, I probably need yeah. to find someplace else to work myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You've got a people problem and it's, it's you. Time I got to tell you, th th this really hit home for me uh, when I was, I was coaching a team through some root cause analysis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do this a lot with teams and uh, we are very, very comfortable with uh, just doing a really crappy job in root cause analysis because we'll say, oh, well, that's because management told me to or, you know, because this happened or that. Uh, one case in particular is uh, we had some lost time uh, accidents in one, cl one client. And they said, well, um, all right, let's break down the lost time. What actually caused the lost time? So what, what's a, for our listeners, what's a lost time accident? Oh, that's, uh, that's when the worker had to have medical treatment and lost time at work. So they couldn't work a full week because they were getting treated for some injury. 
Got it. Got it. So these the are workers' comp issue followed by the compounding issue of not having the worker there. Right. So, so one of them was um, uh, they had an uh, they had an operator who who got a cut on his hand, and they said, okay, well let's let's do the root cause. The problem is the cut. Let's do the root cause. And they said, oh well, we we use sharp materials, so it's it was a banding operation. So they were banding things together with a steel band and crimpers and things. And uh, the the edge of this banding material, once you cut it off, is pretty sharp. Uh, and they said, well, that's what caused the cut. And I was like, well, well hang on a minute. Why don't you think about this for a minute? Um, how many of those cut er- how many of those sharp areas are existing in the facility right now? And, well, every time we've cut a band and there's, you know, 400 bands around there that have been cut. So all these, we got 400 of these sharp edges. How many people are actually getting cut? Oh, well, what happened that coupled with that sharp edge did they follow a process that allowed that operator and his hand to come in contact with that sharp end? Um, and if you think about the details of that coupling, what has to happen together to actually cause a problem, then you see that it's it's not just a failure of the human. Well, he, he reached for it wrong or he didn't wear his personal protective equipment. Therefore, we're just going to retrain him. And retraining just doesn't do any good if the process is broken. So by really looking at how things are coupled together, what is the process that is supposed to put that human hand in proximity to that sharp edge of the things? And can we fix that process to reduce the risk of that injury happening again? So let's look at the structural process that we've put in place for that work. How can we fix that to prevent future injuries? Rather than just say, well, the operator screwed up, he cut his hand because he's a dummy, we're going to retrain him or we're going to put him someplace else and never let him do that again. Well, that that doesn't do anything for anybody. You know, yeah, we want to retrain, but we want to retrain the new process that we develop that prevents the injury. Hmm. I I don't know if this is... You know, I'm 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 a, I'm a marginal Japanophile. I, I like uh, a lot about Japanese culture, and I've, I've studied a good bit of, of Toyota um, manufacturing. And there's there's this, you know, there's the salaryman culture over there of you know you're bringing people on, they're here for life, they're family. There's almost like a made man mob culture to a degree to some of these long term <laughs> companies. And I wonder if the development of some of these process first problem uh addressing which is obvious which which you know if anybody's wondering out there if this works i mean uh, it does period i mean the 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 dominance of some of the uh origins of these lean manufacturing uh protocols uh changed how we manufacture everything in the world it's it's and even beyond manufacture going to how many business even service organizations are organized now it's it's incredibly successful, it but I wonder if, to a degree, if it's because to them, it's not that people were interchangeable, but it's that there was there's this kind of mentality of the employee is is permanently part of the organization. The option of just the employee is an idiot isn't a really an allowable option. The job of the company is to turn that idiot into a useful person. Um, and that they're going to put the time in to do so. Uh, I, I, I I don't know. As you were talking about looking at it as a process problem first, it made me think about that. It made me think viewing your company as a as you know we talk about oh everyone here's family. Well, what if they were like really family? Like you really 
really can't get rid of them. They're going to be here for 40 years working every day. So how are you going to design a process that keeps that person uh, safe, but more importantly, actually accomplishes the goal of the organization? Very interesting. Well, that was really one of the one of the foundation things uh, uh, of the Toyota production system is respect for people. Um, and the way they show respect is by uh, putting them into a process that works and then allowing them to make their own changes to that process when they show that it can be improved. Um, so Toyota learned these wonderful lessons after World War II when they had some, they had some riots uh, in 1950 and 1951, when the bank called the loan for the Toyota family, right? Uh, and they were really struggling trying to get their car business back after World War II. And so the government stepped in and made them give every employee a lifetime employment contract. Mm. And so, you know, when you, when you have a lifetime employment contract, that really forces you to focus on improving your human resources processes so that you hire the right kind of person, not the right kind of skill. So you hire the right kind of person and develop the skills you need internally, but the right kind of person is one who learns quickly, sees and solves problems, and can adapt from one process to another very quickly. Wow. Rather than, I need a welder who's been welding for 20 years. Um, that's one of the criticisms I have with people who, who are advertising for help for lean consultants. And they say, well, we want a healthcare guy and we want you to have 12 years in healthcare. I was like, well, that 12 years in healthcare might have been a disaster the whole time. Why would that be, <laughs> why would that be so great? Um, so we want people who can think properly and we want people who can learn properly and learn quickly and we want people who are willing to try things and share. And really, that comes down to that confidence that I mentioned earlier. Really, the, the, the kind of confidence we're looking for is called self-efficacy. And it's very task-focused. And there are very specific things leaders can do to improve that self-efficacy. And the outcomes of that, three key things. Okay, One, people with high self-efficacy will try new things. Much more likely than people with low confidence. Right? Uh, they will also improve their own workspace without any kind of prompting. So they'll come to work every day. They'll try to improve something. That's, that's mm. the kind of employees we want, right? But the most important thing that people with high self-efficacy bring to the table is, is when they try something new, whether they're trying to improve their own process or something else, if they fail or if they hit an obstacle, they persist in trying to make that work. And the thing that I, I think about with this is, is so many leaders will go in when there's a problem, people say, hey, here, hey, boss, here's the problem. The boss will say, I'll just do this, right? And when the boss says, just do this without any analysis, without any thinking, the chances of them getting it right are, are pretty slim. Absolutely. Uh, so when the employees try to do what the boss says and it doesn't work, instead of persisting through, they just say, well, I told you it was a stupid idea. <laughs> so we want them to come up with the ideas. So the leader should always just ask questions. What happened? What do you need to fix it? How much time are you going to need? Did you think of this? Have you considered that? Did you talk to so-and-so? Um, that's what the leader needs to do. Just ask plenty of questions to make sure people are critically thinking through what happened so that they can get better. Uh, and when you're learning any kind of new skill, it's the same thing. Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, show respect. 
Everybody brings value to the table. We just got to bring it out. When you talk about self-efficacy, some employees seem to have it. Some don't. Yeah. <clears throat> Is it, I, I recently interviewed someone who, who focuses on the fact that the, first of all, let me just, I mean, let me roll back. A lifetime contract, 1951. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine that in today's world, people would consider it, most companies out there would say, you have signed our, we're just, we're just going to file bankruptcy. We're exactly. done. It's time to be over. And yet 20 years later, Toyota is dominating, dominating with this requirement, dominating the industry. Well, and by 30, just. Yeah. The, the lifetime employment contracts were lifted in the seventies because they were violated by the, uh, the oil crisis. Hmm. Um, so people had to violate the lifetime point and they, they learned that that was not a tenable way to do this. But Toyota, um, instead of violating the, the employee, the work contract, they kept people working and shut their equipment down, which is kind of crazy. And when you think about it from Western terms and the way we measure return on assets and, and that, um, but their, their mentality has never changed. We want to bring somebody in who is adaptable and a problem solver and a team player. And we can put them in the right kind of role. That's really going to enhance their skill level and then give them an opportunity to try other things. So that, that mentality and the the processes they developed for hiring the right kind of person are still very much in play. And then they bring them on board and the onboarding process. It's not, well, here's, here's, you know, a a three hour overview of the company and here's an eight hour skills training. It's like six weeks before they turn you loose to go and do some work. Um, it is a very deliberate process to make sure that you have the right skills and the right thinking to be able to succeed at any job they put you in. It's, it's incredible. And if, if, is that self-efficacy? Would you say that that's primarily a recruiting, hiring, getting the right person in? Or, I mean, obviously the best person can be beaten down by a bad process and company, oh, yeah. but is it, is it, is it, you got to have the right clay to start with, or can anybody be molded into that uh, self-efficient, uh, reliant, explorer mentality? Um, I believe that we can cultivate this in any human. Uh, and that's, you know, the message for most companies, hey, you, you can't just start over, you know, you got the people you got and you can't just treat them like trash and throw them away and start over. Right. So what do you need to do to focus on building self-efficacy in your current workforce? And it starts with the leader recognizing that, that they're a critical piece of that development. And, And so we look at leader behaviors first and how the leader structures the organization for, for learning, because the, the key thing to building that self-efficacy is, is, um, mastery. Have they, done it before or have they done something similar before so what we need to be able to do and this ties back to the challenges that we talked about earlier if i can successively challenge people to get the work done a little bit faster a little bit better a little bit cleaner all those tiny steps every time they succeed in that we're going to notch that and say that's that is an inactive mastery experience now that's what we call it in the academic world at work, you just say, Hey, that's a win, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep, we want to got that down. These, Move on. What's next. Yeah. We want to amass these little wins, but we've got to stop and recognize that each one of those is a freaking win, right? We've got to recognize that, Hey, you made it 
you, you shaved four seconds off. Hey, that's fantastic. Wonderful. That's okay. Now can we do five seconds? Ooh. So um, if we can build this series of inactive experiences, then that's going to build that confidence in people. But to achieve those challenges, again, we're going to go back to the process. Have you developed a process that is going to allow them to progressively improve? Right. And, and is it their own process? Do they own it? And once we set that process that we know with practice, you'll be able to achieve that challenge and they keep doing it. And they have these, these little steps of success every time that repetition is what builds that skill. But it's just like practicing anything to become an expert in anything, right? You have to have focused practice uh, against a standard that you're held accountable to, right? So right. like the key tool for building this in a, a lean organization is called standardized work. Uh, it's just the way we document the work and the way we teach people to do the work so that they take full ownership of it because they're involved in the creating of the standardized work. Uh, and the way we support and measure all these different things and the way we successively increase the standard based on their level of performance. Um, it's not just, it's not just setting an arbitrary target number and say, Hey, you've got to get this and go do it. It's, mm. it's a deliberate process where we need to get to a particular level. That's, you know, six months down the road. What do we have to do every day? to take a small, tiny bite and have that tiny win that we can celebrate every day on that path to achieving that new standard. Well, uh, that ties in, I think, back to your original four leadership items, challenge, support, correct, and encourage when we're trying to expand out into the into the unknown, into the chaos. Yeah, well, we talked actually, about challenging, supporting, correcting, but encouraging. Yeah. You mentioned no one's ever taught you how to encourage. So when I have a, when I have an employee and they um, uh, they're doing a good job, I say, "Good job, <laughs> you yeah. nailed it." And when they're doing, when they come to me and go, "Man, uh, times are tough," I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's very difficult right now. My question is normally something along the lines of, or at least in this example anyway, is something along the lines of, "Is there an action you need taken? Do you need additional resources? Do you need additional time? Or are you just sharing that things are hard?" Because it is supposed to be hard. It's a hard job. Um, neither of those is particularly encouraging, I think. <laughs> Maybe they are. Uh, I, I, it seems to work out sometimes. But how would you say in this four-part challenge, support, correct, encourage, what are some of the key pieces of encouragement that we should keep in mind? Well, surprisingly, you can encourage people without saying a word. Hmm. Um, if you, I think the most important skill leaders need to develop is the ability to really listen. And, and we don't have time. We don't take the time to listen. And sometimes just letting somebody get something off their chest without you giving them the solution, without you responding, without you taking action, that's one of the best ways to encourage them to go on. So let's listen more. Um, ask some key questions. Ask them how they can help. Um, really listen with empathy. And if there is something that you can direct them to for some additional help, uh, sure. Yeah. You can, you can suggest, have they, have they considered doing this or doing that? Um, but really avoid directing them to do something different because that's, that takes their humanity away. That's just discouraging. Um, so if we're going to encourage, let's, let's listen more, ask questions with empathy. Uh, and that might be all we have to do. Hmm. Okay. 
Well, that's outstanding. Well, you've covered a ton of information that gives a, a great framework for leadership. We talked a little bit about, uh, we talked a good bit about challenging support, correct, and encourage. Uh, we briefly touched on your love, learn, and let go. And those are actions that can be taken by uh, leadership. We dove in deep on, I think, some of the some of the real gem takeaways was around corrections to think of it as a uh, process problem first, then possibly a people problem. And some of the key features in our people that we're trying to develop is that that ability to try a new thing with confidence and push through and succeed, or even just push through when they hit a roadblock. Yes, uh, to continue trying that self-efficacy and not not destroy themselves when they make a mistake. Uh, they need to have the the wherewithal to be able to hit a wall and mess up and and then turn around and fix it. That's right. Um, Just learn from what they mess up. That's the key thing. Absolutely. A ton of great information. Well, so David, what has you excited in the next couple months that you're rolling out at your company or your consulting that's that's got you kind of, uh, what's a goal that you're trying to get done? Well, I am, I'm trying to put the finishing touches on uh, an online course built around my book, Leader Sites, that really kind of focuses on all the stuff that we've talked about now. So I've got, I'm about to start shooting videos for, for this new course. Uh, and I, I'm really pumped about the way it's coming together. We did it. Uh, we did a 16 hour um, live class uh, with a client in Arizona that was like just the sweet spot. Um, and now I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to still get that great feeling through this online learning experience. And so we're, we're trying to develop a couple of new ways to look at, at, at the online learning, uh, trying to, to build those challenges in and uh, find a way to support and correct and encourage online. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about, uh, I've prepared a couple of presentations around some of these key concepts. I, I get a chance to share those with a few folks coming up soon. Um, and um, I have been playing with lots of Legos and I've got a, a simulation that I use uh, to illustrate many of these principles, including problem solving and process improvement, uh, by building a Lego airplane in a, in a complex setting. Um, my biggest challenge is trying to figure out how to do that in the COVID-19 virtual world. Right, right. It's kind of hard to build Legos as a team when you're not in the same room. Uh, but when this lifts, uh, it's going to be uh, a new experience for anybody. And it's, it's, I've done this with uh, executives and trying to get alignment. I've done it with uh, team members in a factory floor trying to solve problems. Uh, it's just been great fun. And, and I, I can't wait to start doing that course again for folks. Absolutely. Well, so if we have listeners out there who are thinking, you know, we need broad help in this kind of world of leadership training and operations efficiency, uh, how should they reach out to you, David? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is just a direct email, um, david.beach at leadersites.com. Um, I'm hoping you'll have it in your notes, Rami. I'm sure oh, yeah. Um, that's, that's the best way. Um, you can go to my website, leadersites.com, and uh, uh, poke around. Um, I'm always trying to tweak that website. So it's never, I've never been satisfied with the website. So I keep tweaking it, keep, <laughs> keep adding things and making it a little bit better. Um, so yeah, the website has tons of information on there. Um, they can, there are links on the website to schedule an appointment to, to have a call with me. And I'd be happy to do that for any of your listeners. Is there also, a particular size company that, own, that, that, that maybe isn't a good fit for you? If we have 
I don't know, Fortune 10 company listening or a 10-man company listening? Are both of them uh, companies that should reach out to you? Or is it is there a sweet spot in terms of size for you? If they have people, <laughs> that's my that's my space. If they have people and they have processes, uh, that's where I want to work. Um, even a 10-person company needs an effective leader who can challenge the people appropriately, provide the right kind of support, correct their behavior, and encourage them to succeed. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a full range. Um, I do want to – I've got a freebie to offer your guys if, if you'll let me. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, if they can go to my website, there's a free download section on the website. Um, the copy of my first book was the C4 process. It's a problem-solving process that is very, very teachable and very learnable. Uh, and there's a, a free digital copy of the whole book that they can download with a couple of worksheets and a, and a C4 card for employee engagement. They download that. They send me an email. I'd be happy to talk them through however – how they can start engaging their employees in building their critical thinking and problem solving skills um, as, as soon as they, they download that stuff. So it's, it's free for, for everybody will always be free. Uh, I'm working on a new version of that book. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have it and a, and an online course for that as well. Uh, but I hope they, they avail themselves of that free resource because uh, I've been very happy with the results I've gotten uh, since I developed that process and, and have been teaching it. That's outstanding. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Well, David, thank you for spending time. You've shared a ton of value with us, and I very much appreciate it. I think our listeners have come away with some great actionable insights, some good ways. And if you're listening now and you want to speak with David, check out the link at peopleprocesses.com. we got links to his website and his email. Reach out on there. And don't forget to go to his website to download a copy of the C4 process. David, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rami Alijil, and I have so appreciated interviewing David Veach. Uh, informations at peopleprocesses.com. Please reach out on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you'd like. We're at People Processes or Rami Alijil. Link out to me and follow. send me follow-ups. What sort of questions do you have? Is there anything we could pass on to David that we could... Uh, help him out or that you really want some uh, us to explore further. If this tickled your fancy, if an idea percolated and you go, I'd love to dive in deeper either with David or with someone else on this topic, please let me know. We'd love to help. Now, it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done. Thanks for tuning in.